Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. Uh, and as we mentioned on our previous Genre Equality episode, we are now on YouTube. So do give us a like, subscribe, follow, click that bell for notifications because, you know, uh, YouTube <laughs> is our way forward. And I'm glad to see that a, a few people have uh, migrated over from Mixcloud to YouTube. But if you do want to listen to our Mixcloud, it's always there. Our archives is there, uh, are all there for you. Uh, but, you know... YouTube is just like a nice little alternative for us, you know, and, and this was like Isa's idea to put us on YouTube and I'm glad that we finally did it. Yeah, I, it it just made sense in terms of like, we're going to be doing this regardless of what platforms we're on. So we might yep. as well be on as many platforms as possible just for ease of access, I think, um, mm-hmm. especially for people who listen to us um, every month. Um, and, you know, if you're on your desktop and you're working from home, I think it's a lot easier to be playing us from YouTube it's just more convenient that way. Um, yeah. And notifications. And if, if you subscribe and you press the bell button, then, you know, you get notifications whenever we upload something. So I think it just makes it a lot more accessible. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Um, of course, in the future, we're thinking about doing video as well, but it's a bit like distance in the future. Yeah. Um, currently, like, you know, um, video is definitely possible and we are we'll definitely be looking into that. It's just that, I'm a little lazy to do video, you know, <laughs> the, the, it, it requires, you know, editing, uh, it requires me to like, you know, dress up and like look good and, you know, things like find a, like a nice background. It's like a lot of little things. Right now, I'm just like, I'm literally like lying down on my bed and talking. So it's just very chill and very conversational. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with video, there needs to add like a bit more formality to it. And I, I don't know, I'm just not ready for it yet, you know? I guess, I guess. Or we could always do it like very casual Twitch style where we still do the same thing with video, but we're all on our beds. <laughs> Fair enough, that's true, that's true, yeah um, Anyways, uh, for this week's episode of Behold We'll be delving into Latin American cinema Yes, that's right uh, We'll be talking about uh, City of God We'll be talking about Wild Tales We'll be talking about Roma So we'll be going from, you know, the favelas of Brazil yep. um, All the way to a very interesting A wildly amoral anthology film uh, called Wild Tales from Argentina. Uh, and then we'll be going into uh, an intimate portrait of the life uh, of a Mexican maid or, or nanny yeah. uh, in Alfonso Cuaron's uh, masterpiece. Um, I wanted to delve into Latin American cinema because I feel like this is a particular region that I've been very interested in lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and because like we don't necessarily uh, spotlight it as much as North American cinema, for example, yeah, for sure. or, or, or Asian cinema. Um, there are a lot of great Latin American films from prior to the, of the 21st century, from the 20th century. But I thought, you know, uh, as a gateway drug, you know, to, to, <laughs> get you, to get you into the Latin American field, I thought I would pick some 21st century titles that are great. Uh, and, you know, sometimes there's a bit of a barrier when it comes to older films, as we've mm-hmm. talked about before. Yeah. Uh, so I thought some of these newer films uh, will be easier for you to get into, and then maybe you can delve into some of the older Latin American cinema. Uh, Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico are traditionally the powerhouses yeah. of that region, and which is why I picked these three particular films. Uh. Um, you haven't seen City of God in a long time, right? But do, do you remember, like, the big splash that City of God made in the early 2000s? I feel like it was one of Brazil's 
first big exports uh, into international cinema where everybody started, you know, like uh, noticing uh, Brazil as a powerhouse in the region. Yeah, I, I, that I do remember, right? Like, I didn't catch it in cinemas per se. Um, I mm-hmm. think when it came out in 2002, still relatively young, so didn't really quite that. I do remember reading about it, just yep. in general, with some of the... Um, the film blogs that I was following at the time, you know, when mm. blogs used to be a thing. Um, but it has been a long time, right? Because uh, I, I remember the first time I watched it, I borrowed the video from Video Easy, I think. Yeah. And then yeah. later on, I purchased the VCD, which I think I still have somewhere in the house. Um, mm. I'm not sure. So just to give you an idea of how long it's been, but uh, of course, a phenomenal movie, right? And one that kind of sticks with you um, for a really, really long time and, and perhaps one of the best opening sequences ever shot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of ages. Um, but I, I still remember some of it, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it more importantly, the kind of like impressions that it left uh, as a as a piece of film um, is, is kind of the more important point than the actual details of, of the um, the story itself. Oh, 100%. City of God, obviously, one of the best uh, films coming out of Brazil and one of the best gangster films films of all time. Mm. I was kind of debating whether <laughs> to put uh, City of God here or in our next episode, but I figured like it, it belongs better here because it's you know uh, one of the peaks of Latin American cinema. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and if you've seen the film or if you know anything about the film, you know that you know the irony of calling the movie City of God will not be lost on the viewer. Mm-hmm. Um, city of God is called City of God because Rio de Janeiro, you know, it's a big Catholic city, uh, you know, with the with the big statue and everything, right? But the location in question in this film, the slums, or as locally known, the favelas of Rio, is at the best of times purgatory and at, like at the worst of times, like straight up hellish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God is nowhere to be found. Poverty is a way of life. Greed, drugs, violence rule the streets. Um, the latter is so pervasive that when a gang war erupts, you know, prepubescent children arm themselves with automatic rifles and join the fray. Um, the ability to use a firearm in the city of God is more important and, pro- uh, and a more prevalent trait than the ability to read or write. That is the kind of situation that people who grew up in in yeah. the favelas of Rio face. Uh, the thing is, City of God is not glamorized, it's not fictionalized. City of God is actually based on actual events that occurred in Rio de Janeiro uh, during the 60s and the 70s, which formed the factual background for uh, Paulo Lin's novel of the same name, which mm-hmm. this film is based on. Um, in adapting the source material from the written page, director Fernando Morales has crafted a distinctive, distinctive film, one that takes us into the streets with an unsurpassed intensity and immediacy. Um, Mariah's style is ripe with fast cuts, you know, handheld camera sequences, um, other instances of visual potency. Um, the 60s sequences and the 70s sequences have individually unique looks. Um, the former are viewed through an orange and brown filter. Yeah. The, late, the latter boasts, you know, more slightly desaturated colors. Um, the single most memorable scene involves a murder, uh, a murder that is lighted by a strobe uh, mm. in a nightclub, you know, making everything uh, occur in jerky slow motion. You know, it's it's a really visually sumptuous film. But the storyline-wise, it is not straightforward. Um, the movie tells the tale of the rise and fall of a fearsome sociopath gang leader called Lil Zay, uh, who has reigned as king of the drug lords during the 70s. Uh, the first portion of the movie illustrates that some of the forces that mold Lil Zay into the man that he becomes, and the second half shows his ruthless leap to power. He kills all his rivals, yeah. uh, followed by the take-no-prisoners war he wages against opposing gangsters, Carrot, 
uh, at Knockout Net, you know, for example. So the, the film is actually narrated by Rocket, um, a, photo- a photographer who exists in the outskirts of Lil Zay's circles. Um, he knows the gang uh, and the gang lord uh, well enough to be able to relate his life story, but it's not so close to him that he has become um, poisoned. Uh, Rocket's telling of the story is non-linear. He generally relates the story in chronological fashion, but like many storytellers, he often stops to present, you know, tangential information yeah. uh, about a new character or situation, which is a nice little flourish. Uh, Marius never permits these tangents to, you know, go too far astray, nor does he allow them to go on for too long. In fact, his approach to some of these is like, you know, um, a, a very nice snapshot approach. La. Yeah. Um, showing quick clips of certain events that define an individual and then move on. It allows you to ga- gain a greater appreciation and context for the interpersonal dynamics as well as the socioeconomic dynamics of the area. Um, the violence of City of God is probably the one thing that sticks out to you as a child, as me, like, as a child watching it. You know, it's yeah. extreme, it's shocking, it's realistic, uh, even though there is no, you know, no blood and gore. Um, mm-hmm. But part of the reason uh, that is so shocking has to do with the age of the killers yeah. and the age of the victims. You know, many of the gang members here are prepubescent children. They are they kill and they are killed with the same callousness as adults. Um, you know, de- death in 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 the favelas is no respecter of age. Uh, and and seeing seventy old homeless kids, thirteen old homeless kids, and stuff like that. You know, uh, being engaged in in a war like this is so uh, troublesome. Uh, but at the same time, I I do like that it doesn't glamorize it. It's more of an unvarnished. A depiction of a of a slice of life in uh in an area like that you know which is uh which is yeah yeah it it it's similar to like other gangster films mm-hmm. but it just goes to show you that like the level of intensity of the violence and the gangs in Rio de Janeiro you know has no equivalent uh not with you know in the Italian mafiosos of New York yeah uh not with the the guy Richie gangsters in, in London uh this exists in in such a heightened world that even if you're familiar with gangster films, this will shock you, you know. Do, do, do you get the same impression from it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it is how casual the violence feels yeah. um, when it's captured, you know. Um, and, and, and just, uh, again, the, the whole idea that you sometimes have to remind yourself that these are kids, right? Uh, yeah. and, and their lives are just filled with violence, right? It, violence is a language in which everything is decided upon and negotiated with. And it is almost numbing um, when we reach the middle point, right? Just before we switch into the 70s itself, you know, mm-hmm. the kind of violence that we're exposed to in the film. Uh, so it is incredibly shocking, I think, especially uh, the first few moments, right? Um, when you, or oh, first few moments of violence, to be clear, um, really at a young age was really quite uh, intense <laughs> for me. Yeah. I, I think it took me a while. I had to, I remember having to pause. And uh, just like, just like, what in the world is going on? Before, before, kind of diving back into it, just because of how um, visceral it looked and felt at that point in time, right? Like mm-hmm. um, watching it at a point where I'm just barely older than the kids that are involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 shocking because like I watched it at the age. I think maybe that's it. Lah. Like I was maybe 14, 15 when I was watching it and I was seeing yeah. other 14, 15 year old kids. I mean, it's not just, you know, the level of poverty that they live in, but the level of violence and the fear of your life. You know, it's it's almost like watching kids growing up, you know, in, in a war zone. You know, yeah. I've seen I've seen war films or war documentaries similarly. But the thing is that like Brazil was in peacetime at this time. This is this is just a level of social upheaval that has been wrought 
uh, via like careless economic policies, you know, from the people up top. It trickles down to a level of poverty that kind of uh, forces uh, this lifestyle upon those who are poor, and it's it's terrible to watch, like you know, like yeah. In fact, the legacy of of City of God is is very unlike the legacy of other gangster films. Um, a lot of like uh, academics and and future politicians in Brazil have pointed out to uh, City of God as as one of the key factors towards uh, legislation that allowed uh, greater social social economic aid yeah. uh, and financial aid to the favelas. You know, so they this put it into the spotlight. You know, um, people all over the world are aware of what the situation is. So you know the the government was forced to step in and maybe like help these people. Uh, you know, so so children in the future would never have to grow up like this. And I think like mm-hmm. it's a positive uh, impact uh, of a gangster film. Whereas other gangster films, you know, like your Scarfaces and all that, tend to have the opposite effect, where yeah. it inspires people or glamorizes the li- their lifestyle. Uh, and 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 that's why I kind of appreciate City of God as well. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about some of the criticism that City of God was exploitative in in terms of the way that it was um, portraying violence? Like every uh every true to life uh depiction of a war zone or uh, a gang war zone or of poverty of of whatever you, you call it, right? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. is it, going to be to a certain extent as exploitative. Uh, I felt that City of God never crossed the line. Because um, everything about it, all the situations in it, uh, as documented by Rocket, were true. Um, mm. they, they, unlike other films that slap you in the beginning with based on a true story, you only find out it's based on a true story at the end. Yeah. When you find out that Rocket is a real person, the pictures he took were real. Uh, you know, they, 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 they juxtapose the, the pictures in the film with the pictures in real life that he published for various newspapers and stuff like that. Um, if it is true to life, if it's enlightening and it has a positive impact, uh, and it doesn't diminish the humanity of the people in it. Uh, I feel like it's not exploitative, mm. uh, but it has to be exploitative to certain extents because it has to shock you to 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 action, right? Yeah. To, uh, to to do better, to be to be better informed, to to petition governments to to change situations, and I think that's what City of God did, lah. So uh, I think the 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 criticism that is exploitative is true to an extent, but it had to be. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just to you know, shock people into into putting the point across. Okay. Yeah, and also you know, none of it was was fake. None of it was gram- uh was was dramatized to, uh, to to or fictionalized lah. Because it, all of this was true, man. And and that's the most shocking part of it. It's almost mm-hmm. like a docudrama, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And on top of that, like the whole idea that, uh, many of that there's only like one prof- professional actor. Yep. Right. As far as I know, who plays Carrot? Uh, the rest of them were all just kind of like found. Um, mm-hmm. and many of them, especially the kids, being actual citizens of the favela itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the film like it's grim, it's serious on the subject matter, but I think Morales also like takes care to unearth occasional moments of levity. You know, mm-hmm. kids being kids, moments of humor. Uh, although like a lot of the humor is of the gallows variety, like you know, like yeah. for example. Uh, one vignette um explores Rocket's failed attempt to become a criminal. Uh, <laughs> and after deciding to try out the life of a thief, he quits because he often finds his intended victims to be, you know, too cool to steal <laughs> from, you know. He meets a guy who's like, ah, oh, this guy is too cool. I can't hurt him. Uh-huh. Um, moments of levity like that are necessary to keep City of God from becoming almost too unbearably bleak. Um, if there's a message that the film espouses, it's that. It's, it's a culture where violence begets violence. 
uh, and only the names change. You know, you see the generational names. You know, yeah. like the kids become the adult gangsters. The adult gangsters become the victims of the new generation. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, it's it's season four of the wire, right? You know, <laughs> uh, the the next generation is always hungrier and is always willing to go one step further than the previous generation. You know, um, uh, the the, the new gang that takes over is it, it has shades of Marlo, right, mm, from the uh, yeah. from the wire. Uh, you know, when, when one gang lock is disposed, another will rise in its place. And and, of, and oftentimes, the new one is worse. Uh, and as often as not, you know, it's the children more than adults that have to be watched. It's it's shocking in, in that depiction. And City of God is... What a phenomenal film. Uh, and and its, its legacy in, in Brazilian cinema is it's unparalleled, in, in my opinion, for, 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 for those who are into, like, you know, American gangster films like Goodfellas and yeah. stuff like that. I, w- I would say that this is very similar to Goodfellas. Mm, definitely, definitely. I mean, like, for for me, at least, when you talk about Brazilian cinema, you know, City of yeah. God is, like, the first thing that comes to my hands down. Of course, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's it's breathtaking. It's terrifying. Um, it's urgently involved with his characters. Uh, and it announces its its debut director uh, as a guy with, like, great gifts, you know, a cinematic gifts uh his visual flourish his way to tell a non-linear story mm. that is both cohesive uh and at the same time uh expounds upon uh emotional uh layers in each character like, which is very like the antithesis of something like tenet or dark for example which is just <laughs> yeah. like you know um uh making it complex and non-linear for the sake of like jumbling up the story you know yeah uh yeah this, this was way more exhilarating and way more bracing uh, but at the same time, you know, still sexy, still smart, still stylish and raw. Yeah. Uh, it's it's fabulous, man. One of my favorite uh, Brazilian films of all time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. Any final thoughts on City of God before before we move on to Wild Tales? Uh no, I mean, I highly encourage anybody who's kind of like interested, um, you know, mm-hmm. in, uh, in in kind of like taking on Latin America cinema to catch this. Um, yeah. I I think I still very clearly remember the whole like kind of sequence where. Um, the kid is trying to catch the chicken, yeah, uh, and and the whole like panning thing, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it's just one of those scenes that like sticks sticks with you, you know. And like the whole movie is kind of filled with tons of that. Yep. Um, you know, so if you want something that is beautiful and and heartbreaking and and shocking all at the same time, you know, with a very kind of like fascinating look at something very far removed from most modern day lives um mm-hmm. god is definitely something to catch oh yeah 100 percent. uh next up let's move on to uh brazil's uh forever rivals uh they're, ne- they're <laughs> in, in, fo- in football in cinema in nearly everything they do brazil fights with argentina so let's move on to argentina now uh mm. and i'm going to be talking about an anthology film uh, and i don't mean this in a way of small acts which presented you know like uh, six different films yeah. I mean, like, these are six short stories within one film, an anthology film. And I honestly, it's kind of a format that I miss that nobody does anymore. Yeah. It's great. You know, um, Wild Tales is developed around six distinct stories um, of surrealist showdowns, revenge plots uh, that annex like, annex like a savage assault on contemporary Argentinian society. You know, it's almost a bit of a... A social satire is curing class and gender biases yeah. through a series of, of morbid segments that is just alive with dark humor. There's so much dark humor in this. Um, Blackly comic. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's great. It's both a comedy. Some parts of it are comedy. Some parts of it are drama. Some parts of it is melodrama. Uh, and, and the movie un- unfolds like, uh, 
like you know one gasp inducing story after another and none of the stories you know ever uh, overstay their welcome yeah. they all hit they all hit like a brick and then you move on to another story that hits like a brick perhaps even harder a bigger brick you know um and, and they're all fantastic you know um you've recently caught wild tales uh well i haven't seen wild tales in like about five years yeah but i've always recommended it whenever someone brings up latin american cinema because i feel that like wild tales when i first saw it that's such a breath of fresh air it took me by a by such a surprise i went to watch it at a projector randomly you know i it was one of those nights where like i don't know what to watch let's yeah. go watch wild tales uh i think it was it was the latin american uh film festival as well a uh, south american film festival i'm sorry uh and i was just blown away by this film you what you caught it recently uh what do you think about wild tales and do you have any any favorite stories within them oh uh yeah yeah uh, um okay i think little bomb is definitely my favorite uh, yeah little yeah. bomb is definitely my favorite I, I think there's just something about the portrayal of like railing against this giant machine uh mm-hmm. that's out to fuck you every day of your life and then take your money yeah. Uh that that I I really kind of enjoyed. Um some of them I, I think all in all the shock factor is is very different and very uneven uh in, mm-hmm. in that manner just because of you know um the very kind of unique stories that they're trying to tell. Uh Pastor Nap, um surprisingly enough, I actually caught the first story, Pastor Nap, um mm. before. So when I started watching the movie, I was just like, wait a minute, I've seen this before, right? Um, and and the whole idea kind of behind that was was um, quite fascinating to me when I saw it as a short. I can't remember where, I can't remember when, but like I was I was watching, I was like, oh wait, I've seen this before. Um, mm-hmm. If anything, Pasternak to me feels like the odd one out of the bunch, right? Yeah. The rest kind of have a much more clearer theme in terms of like vengeance and, and violence, uh, mm-hmm. and and just trying to take control using vengeance and violence. Um, yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely Little Bomb first. I did feel like the last one, which was... Was that the wedding? Yeah, the wedding one. The wedding one was a little strange to me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, that is like the, the epitome of like a, a toxic relationship <laughs> to mm-hmm. be. Um, and all in, all in all, like, I think the strangest one and the one that felt the longest in terms of like trying to get to the point. Right, um, mm-hmm. just the way that it unfold, uh, it kept folding back in on itself, and I'm not really sure if it was as neat as the rest of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most shocking, I think, or, or the most like viscerally um, felt for me was um, what's the car one called? What's the car one called? The strongest. Uh, the- the case of road rage, right? Yeah, the case of road rage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all in all, like these are these are like these very short stories that will stick with you for a very long time, just because of how like uh, shocking some of the scenes are. Like you really don't expect it to kind of, uh, it kind of like uh, escalate so quickly, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And and that when it turns out to be like that, you're just like, oh, what the fuck? Did I just watch? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, the what the fuck factor is heavy in this film. Yeah, uh. and it, there's yeah. no. There's no catharsis for that, right? Like mm-hmm. in um, every story in and within itself has this whole um, uh, the the they are hmm, it, it, they are not morality tales necessarily, but they're all kind of like self-contained within them. There's like no there's no catharsis within that. There's there's a heavy dose of pathos with no catharsis. They mm-hmm. um, end up being 
uh, warnings in and within itself that don't go anywhere because of the way that they end in particular. And I think like that's a it's a very masterful way. You have to go about it in a very masterful way in order not to give the audience any sort of satisfaction, right? From what yep, they're watching, yep. right? Like this is absurd. This is violent. You know, um, revenge has, you know, its own kind of like fucked up way of of getting back at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and each one of those things, which with the exception of of, of the first one, right? Like kind of like mm-hmm. plays out in a way that leaves you puzzled. Like, what mm-hmm. did I just watch? And what does it actually mean in the greater scheme of things as as an audience of watching a movie than, than anything mm-hmm. else? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, in each little short film, uh, the director, Damien... Uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Damien uh, Zifron. Um, he he kind of positions the anticipation of gruesome outcomes and and build ups, you know, like like they're they're building up to some sort of abstract punchline. It's almost like watching comedy. You're you're waiting for like what is the punchline here? Yeah. You know? and, and they always almost deliver like you know like one chapter begins with a, a a waitress who's urged to put rat poison in the food of a customer who traumatized her childhood. You know, but that that concludes in in a very shocking way. Um, a later installment, like as you mentioned, is exclusively set on a desolate bridge. It finds two men gripped by a case of road rage. <laughs> um, that takes a series of grotesque turns they are both like gory and scatological um (laughs) this segment i think in particular illustrates um damien's uh brilliant investment in shamelessly upping the ante at every moment you know like taking the quote-unquote crime of passion trope concept to delirious heights with an with an ongoing brawl you know that suggests like an uber violent sort of like live action wally coyote and roadrunner uh, type of story (laughs) Um, I see violence everywhere, like one character says, right? Eff- effectively, like stating the the movie's like mission statement, lah. Yeah. Um, I I like that the director makes no cheeky attempts to merge the mini stories, but mm. but I think like no single entry follows the exact same beats either, which makes keeps yeah. it fresh with every story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like judging by the themes of of the movie, like it is bizarre, it is heightened, but but like a lot of Argentinian movies, like this one, I've I've been seeing are like using black comedy to kind of tackle the country's kind of backward social constructs and and bureaucratic yeah. hangups. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit horror, it's a bit comedy, it's a bit drama. Uh, it's it, but it never feels disjointed. Uh, despite its 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 tonal shifts, and I think the bold gambles that that the director takes with every mini film. Uh, it's it's really great, you know, and it pays mm-hmm. off. Um, like despite the rampant silly, silly, silliness, right? I think like <laughs> no scene is is too far from a legitimate observation. It's heightened, but there is like a the, the kernel of truth in there, you know. Like um, uh, everyone wants these guys to get what they deserve. Is, yeah. is what the scheming waitress says as she plots uh, to fight back, you know. But no one lifts a finger. Uh, and and when one f- uh, figure you know attempts to you know wipe wipe his hands from off his position. Uh, less admirable aspects, you know, by playing the job card, he's told that you know people who work for villains are also villains. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's sustaining this 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 level of insight with a steady blend of comedy and suspense. I think Wild Tales like finds everyone seeking an outlet for their rage and in many cases relishing the fantasy of achieving it. Um, it it adheres to an internal logic that makes each punchline land mm. with a satisfying burst of glee, but at the same time also like asking you like why are you laughing at this? Yeah. Uh, and 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 but nevertheless, you know, the movie stems from like this genuine fury aimed at the at, at a broken world. Uh, it's it's a rare storytelling endeavor that manages to be like uh, profoundly tragic, but 
at its core laughably absurd. You know, you enjoy it from a comedy standpoint. It's fantastic in that way. Like, I, I love all, all six uh, stories. I love the themes. You know, obviously, clearly, the theme of violence and vengeance is what connects the accounts. You know, it's this kind of fuzzy boundary that separates like civilization from barbarism, you know, the vertigo of losing your temper and the and the pleasure of losing control yeah. uh, are the themes of these stories. Uh, and and uh, even if you strip aside the the social or political aspects of it, like everyone internally uh, has had those moments where you you kind of wish that you could lose control, like some of these people, you know, <laughs> like you know, like like strip away that that veneer of civilization, you know, yeah, uh, like 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 what the Joker says, right? You know, strip that away, uh, they will eat each, eat each other, right? You know, it's it's that concept, like that animalistic feature. Uh, that is what makes this movie engrossing as a sort of like wish fulfillment, but at the same time also dealing, showing you the consequences of what would happen if you actually, you know, w- w- uh, deem to uh, step across that itch. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's great. Like I, I loved it. You know, um, mm. the the pleasure of reacting and the pleasure of reacting towards injustice. Yeah, <laughs> uh, is is so subversive, but at the same time also warning you that like this may not be the route. This may not be the best route, la, Yeah, to to getting justice. You know. Yeah, for sure. Do you have a favorite? Oh man, um, Road Rage one is is favorite. Uh-huh. Um, I I I'm I'm not gonna like even pretend to <laughs> say the Spanish the, the Spanish titles. I'm just gonna say like the Road Rage one. Yeah. Um, I I like the Lone Shark one, which is really good as well. Uh-huh. Um, and hmm, yeah. Uh, the the the, the Bombita, which I can pronounce. In yeah. The following the Demolitions Expert. Yeah. That one. That one is that one is probably my favorite as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think those three, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hit and run one, um, was was good, right? But mm-hmm. uh, but it was the only one I think that the ending kind of caught me off guard. Yeah. Yeah, just because like very little kind of happens until the end. Um, but yeah, definitely like those three stand out to me for sure. I, I think if anything else, like the most complex one for me emotionally was the road rage one. Because yeah. both of them are assholes, right? Like, just generally both of them are at fault for what's going on. And the escalation that ends up, you know, uh, where it ends up is just like... Uh, I had me going like, oh, yeah, you know, both of you definitely deserve that. But at the same mm-hmm. time, they didn't really need to go that far. Mm-hmm. Yes, they did, did they really need to go that far? But at the same time, you know, if you're in that position, like, you have that temptation mm. to, to, to up the ante a bit, like, fuck this guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I get the temptation. And, and, and that's what, like... <laughs> That's what this thing is, right? It's like this this story of like various stories of like you know what are people? People are fucking nasty animals yeah. when they're pushed to their limits, right? You know, like there's no telling what we will do when we're put in a situation, uh, and it's it's bizarre. It's often absurd, but at the same time it has that like kernel of truth because you know inside you like you might do something like this, or you at least have the temptation to do something like this if put in that situation, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Or oh, at least consider yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, at, at least consider it, Like, it's 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 a very exuberant whole, like, tying together that theme. Uh, and that's why I feel like you should watch Argentina's um, Wild Tales. Like, uh, it may not be, like, Argentina's best film. You know, Argentina has had, like, a long history of great films, mm-hmm. you know, like, Motorcycle Diaries, for example, and stuff like that. But, this is one of the best and one of the best of, at least of recent years. Uh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, hi- highly recommended if you have like uh, very little time because it's a short watch. Uh, and also like you can break it up into episodes like into yeah. short 15, 20 minute episodes that you can watch at sequentially or you can watch you know uh, if you have a, if you take like a couple of days break you can come back to it very easily 
yeah, this is this is a very easy watch. I, I really love this movie. Mm-hmm, me too. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we move on to Alfonso Cuarón's Roma? Uh, no, I think that I think that's about it, right? Um, I mean, it's like mm-hmm. two hours of your time. Why not? You know, it, it will definitely make you feel things. Uh, yeah. in, in interesting ways. So yeah, and, and it's beautifully shot. I have to say. Mm, yes. Uh, let's move on to Alfonso Cuarón's Roma, which is uh this intimate, almost new realist uh portrait of an of a Mexican maid mm-hmm. uh, that could easily fit into our previous Behold episode about uh Verite slice of life yeah. uh, kind of films, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I decided to hold it off uh, for for Latin American uh, cinema because you know this is a great example of Alfonso Cuarón's, and I feel like Alfonso Cuarón's peak uh, of his filmmaking skills just because mm. it was so uh, it was so personal to him, right? This is this is almost an autobiographical story yeah. that he's telling. You know, um, Alfonso Cuarón has directed Itumama Tambien, uh, Gravity, Children of Man. Uh, and of course, most famously, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> um, so he has a great like filmography, yeah. Uh, perhaps like of all of those, Roma is actually my favorite, despite it being the least exciting or the least like hokey of 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 any of any of them, right? You know. Yeah. Um, what what do you think about Alfonso Cuarón's like filmography before we delve into Roma? Uh, I think where did I catch Roma? I caught Roma on net on Netflix, right? Yeah. yeah. It's so a I I mean, um, Itumama también was I think my first uh, introduction to him. Um yeah. and like him being chosen to do to Prisoner Azkaban was kind of shocking for me. I was like, really? I think mm. like ba- based upon his body of work at that point in time, I was just like, that's that's a bit of a strange choice, right? To kind of yeah, like, it's it it's Chloe Zhao doing Eternals. Yeah, exactly, right. Uh, yeah. and then when uh Chur of Men came out, I really enjoyed Chur of Men. Uh, mm. no relation to, to um City of God. Yeah, City of God. Yeah. <laughs> for for some reason, people always associate the two. Right. Yeah. Uh, so and some people even call it City of Men, like conflating both uh both titles. Both titles together. Yeah. Um although there is a movie called City of Men, which nobody ever see, has ever seen, despite like when I tell people to go watch City of the Men, they... British one? What yeah, yeah. So whenever I, I tell people to like, hey, there's a movie called City of Men, and then like, they're like, Oh, uh they either think of City of God or they either think of uh or they either think of uh, Children of God or, or see I'm confusing it now. They either think of uh of of uh City of God or Children of Men. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For, some, <laughs> for some strange reason. Yeah, so yeah. I really enjoyed it. And I definitely enjoyed Gravity as well. But I think like uh, Roma was so different in terms of the tonality uh, mm-hmm. within his body of work that it really kind of took me by surprise, right? Like yeah. um, there was a fair bit of hype before it came out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were running trailers for all of that. And, and um, I was expecting something a bit more like his earlier work. Um, you know, um, but just how kind of like measured and subtle Roma is 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 a joy, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was something that I did not expect from him. Um, and then of course later on, um, just like watching kind of like the interviews and reading about it and all that, and how he explains, you know, how it it had to do a lot with his upbringing and with his childhood in particular. Then you kind of understand like why he why the tonal shift makes like total sense right mm. uh, but that doesn't take away from the fact that as, as a director he's extremely versatile mm. um you know uh over the the course of the eight films that he's done so far yeah yeah, yeah. um the, the phrase 
uh, world building or world creation gets thrown around casually with with genre work, right? You know. Yeah. But the thing is, right? Neo neo realist filmmakers or storytellers or variety filmmakers or storytellers are also doing world building. Yeah. Because they are they are throwing you into a world that you are not familiar with. Um, the world of Roma or the world of Nomadland or the Rider. They are, they are not familiar to you, so they are building that world as well, which is why I think like directors are kind of uniquely situation, situated to world building in a fantasy sense, you know. Yeah. It, 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 it fashion, fashioning a totally transportive experience, you know, bringing you to to a place of 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 um of emo- like drawing out emotion from a place that you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that is so specific that is unfamiliar to you, but at the same time, still universal because, you know, at the end of the day, at the core of the story are people, right? You yeah. And, and such is the case with Roma, which is a hypnotic, neorealist masterpiece about a middle-class family living in Mexico City during the 1970s. Um, as we've mentioned before, it's inspired by the filmmaker's own youth. Um, but this is a different kind of autobiography. You know, Instead of looking inwards towards his own life, uh, to tell a story from his own perspective, Quaran has sort of stepped outside of himself and chosen to pay tribute to the inner lives of two people who children usually only see in the context of themselves. Yeah. Um, he tells a story about his mother and his nanny. Uh, and it's the nanny and the housekeeper, Cleo, who mm. gets the kind of uh, the star-making treatment in Roma. You know, She is portrayed with astounding assuredness and depth by Yelitza Aprizio, who is not an actor. Once again, another great case of a non-actor stepping up. Um, Cleo may appear quiet and reserved, but she is kind of this acutely observant of, of everything that's happening around her, no matter how small. Yeah. She, treats the ser- she treats seriously the loneliness of the youngest son of the four doctors, uh, or, or, or the youngest son of the doctors, that are, the four children of the doctors that she cares for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and she seems to know when her boss, Sophia, uh, snaps at her to clean up dog poop in the garage. By the way, the dog poop scenes are like everywhere. <laughs> it's so real. Um, and, and she's this person who's just so used to absorbing the pain of others, which makes her own trials throughout the course of the film even more devastating to, to experience, right? You know? Yeah. Um, as with many families who have a live-in housekeeper, I think Cleo may maybe getting paid for her service, but she is much more of a mother figure to the children mm. of the household uh, than even their birth mother, who, who has at least, you know, lately in this film, been distracted by trying to keep the attention of her scoundrel husband. Um, the men of Roma are a little more than side characters than, yep. who are kind of jerks, their disappointments, their nuisances who leave the women and the audiences enraged. Uh, and while all this may seem like very vague, Roma is a journey that really doesn't lend itself to like, simple plot points Mm -hmm. it's simply a slice of this family's life a slice of this nanny's life yeah at the moment when they find themselves having to adjust to a life without a father and realizing that perhaps sophia and cleo are quite enough and Mm. have always been enough you know Mm. as as they go from the city to the country for the holidays and back to the reality of home where you know um and it's set in a backdrop of political turmoil in mexico also you know um where it has reached a, a boiling point um I think Quaron is content to take his time with Roma yeah. and allow his camera to linger on his subjects and the, the almost frustrating banalities of ordinary everyday life that sneak up on you uh, because these banal or ordinary things have a poetic significance as the film goes on. Mm. You know, like, like a garage, like the ever-present dog poop that Cleo is picking up, you know, a, a car that's too big to fit. It's, it's, it's a kind of patience that makes so many moments 
indelible and affecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, something as small as Cleo sitting in a movie theater to a rowdy holiday party, uh, brought about by by you know like where, <laughs> where when the house caught on fire. Um, it's it's filmmaking to a high level. Even like certain absurd scenes, you know, where where the guy that Cleo is sleeping with, like just yeah. decide to like twirl his dick around for like five minutes. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's those those are all really great snapshots of life. You know, it feels very, it feels like this is less of a movie and more of like very vibrant memories that Quaron has. You know, mm. uh, and it's it's fantastic. You know, what 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 else are your thoughts on Roma? Um, I'm amazed at how. Um, I'm amazed at the fidelity of Claire's, uh, Cleo's character. Yeah. Right? like just how much attention is paid. Um. To, to rounding her out as like someone who is a, a, a person um, mm-hmm. you know and and um, I, much of it you've already covered right like in her ability to 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 be there for other people her ability to absorb and empathize with their pain and kind mm-hmm. of like reach out from that place um, that's the most striking thing for me about Roma uh, if, if anything else like cinematographically like it's flawless right Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much. I think especially the scenes in the countryside are just some of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in black and white especially. And um, But the um, the perform- Cleo's performance and just the way that she's captured on film mm-hmm. uh, is... like I feel like I know her, you know, like personally on, on a deep level after mm-hmm. I was done with the film itself. And that felt... Um, it was it was it was fascinating because like it's 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 kind of a rare thing, right? In in film for to have a singular character that is that, you know, um, detailed and and fleshed out um, through the lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Like, do you feel like this film almost sort of reminds you of Ilo Ilo? Yes, yes, yeah. it does. Uh, Sim- similar, right? Yeah, yeah, it definitely has a similar effect. Yeah, um, I mean, like the, the filmmaking is very different, uh, but oh, yeah, uh, okay. thematically it's similar. Yeah, yeah, thematically it's about it, it's about a maid, you know, who who raises you, and and how sometimes that nanny or maid is just more of a mother or more of a parent to you than than your actual parents, and that's that's kind of what like uh, Quaron is going here for. Yeah, a character that's basically based on the maid that raised him, you know, and I'm glad that that he remembered her in this way in such a loving way and I'm glad that Yelitza Aprecio has managed to capture the performance so um, fantastically. Yelitza Aprecio like you know joins the the hall of fame of like <laughs> you know non, non-actors who are, who have brought in to star in films you know like yeah. we mentioned like Brady uh, Rao in, in, in our previous film like with, with the rider and stuff like that uh, it always amazes me that non-actors can can capture something like this uh. yeah it's uh, kind perhaps- of mind-blowing I, I think the, the thing is is that um, yeah. with with the rider, I went into that knowing that he was a non-actor, right? Mm. Uh, but here with Roma, right, I, it never crossed my mind. At any one point in time, it never crossed my mind because I hadn't read up before that or anything of the sort. And finding yeah. out later was like kind of mind-blowing, right? I was like, really? Are, are you serious? Um, just because there are things that, uh, I, I don't know, in her effort to portray Cleo, yeah. um, there, there are things that I think um, even professional actors struggle with that she does so effortlessly, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 that that uh, it, it just makes it for such an enjoyable watch. Yeah, you know, like Roma is this great reflection of a vanished era. That's it's one point of it in the seventies Mexico. That, but it's also this loving portrait of a loved one 
painted from mem- from memory, you know. Yeah. Um, and and Quaron never loses sight of Cleo, who is the movie's heart. You know, the the movie isn't about the kid, isn't about like a young Alfonso Quaron standing. It is about the meat. Uh, and that's so great. It's such a compassionate love letter to uh to his, to his nanny la. and and Quaron is such a superb craftsman like mm-hmm. technically mm-hmm. i think his real gift is that he puts human nature above filmmaking sometimes you know yeah. uh when someone would like to insist on a flourish or insist on something dazzling he, he wants to linger on the person you know yeah. and and Quaron follows in the tradition of a uh, neorealist filmmakers like in, in that way you know very exciting you know he's very Chloe Zhao like in, mm. in that way and, and he can be like although at the same time he can make something like Harry Potter <laughs> he can make something like like uh, Children of Man you know stuff like that like. Um, the, the way that we get to know Cleo through her everyday details yeah uh, is so fantastic even though there is no real narrative drive to it you know um but you know some of the things that happen to cleo are painful to watch you know yeah um she's sometimes forsaken by someone she should be able to trust even her role in the family which is the most secure relationship in her life she's an outsider there mm-hmm. uh but only to a point she's an outsider when it's convenient you know and cora never betrays cleo like and he doesn't betray the viewer either you know he he finds a place for her to belong Mm-hmm. And we need we need to watch her as much as as, as she needs to be recognized. Uh, mm. uh, in the last half hour of Roma, I realized that uh, like you know like like you said a few hours ago, I didn't re- I didn't know a, a character named Cleo existed. Yeah. But now now I want the world for her. You know, and and that's the that's the magic of this glorious, tender, um, acutely observant picture slash memoir. Uh, that is that is made by Quaron. Uh, he 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 stands off to the sides or in the shadows, and he beckons us to it watching this uh this forgotten figure or figure that most of us would not pay attention to mm-hmm. uh and in, and invites us to to have empathy uh real generous empathy for for a person like that and and that's why i love roma and i felt actually like like roma should have won best picture that year yeah for sure for sure yeah. what, what, what was the competition for that year actually let me see best picture 2019 i'm just googling it now sorry i'm doing this live yeah. oh my god it's the worst okay i like this film but it's not best picture. It's it's green book. Oh, um, it, I mean it was good, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have to agree with you. I think like yeah, green book. Hmm. Mm. Green book was good, but this is nah. Oh well. Oh well. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a bit. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, what were other nominees? Right. Okay. None of none of them deserved it. Like it was, a uh, Black Panther, a uh, Black Klansman, mm. Bohemian Rhapsody, Ugh. A Star Is Born, Vice, and Green Book. I think Black Klansman and A Star Is Born deserved to be there, but Roma not even being. I think Roma was nominated for Best International Picture. That's why. Uh, it I wasn't. See. It wasn't until Parasite where they decided to break that rule. Yeah. Yeah, for for non English English language uh, pictures to be nominated for best picture lah. and that's a shame, you know. Uh, Roma should have been the the first one to. In fact, you know, there's a ton of non English language films that should have been best picture mm. for any particular year. Yeah, think about Portrait of a Lady on Fire, for example, you for know, sure. yeah. which which didn't get nearly the amount of attention that Parasite did. But yeah, oh well, there it goes lah. Um, yeah, Roma definitely deserved to win best picture that year, and and I feel it was the best film of of 2018. You know, mm. um. Any any other like concluding thoughts on 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 this neo realist masterpiece that was Roma? I think one of the most impactful kind of things for me is that you get this very interesting snapshot of of mm-hmm. Cleo and the family she lives with and their life, 
right? Yeah. Like, and 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 for all intents and purposes, despite the fact that nothing much really happens, it is an adventure. I think, especially with the whole outing that they had to the countryside. Um, but the most impactful thing for me is is the ending where you go back to the normalcy that is established at the, in the beginning in such a an easy way, right? Like she goes mm-hmm. back to do the laundry. Um, mm-hmm. And there's something about that that was extremely heartening for lack of a better term, right? Like this whole idea yeah. that you have ups and downs in life Right, but um, for for Cleo at least, like she she goes back to a place that that she's built, um, mm-hmm. and it's very comforting in that way. Um, and it was just a very very small thing, I I think, um, that that kind of puzzled me. It's like, oh wow, why did why did the ending feel so kind of like comforting and satisfying? And and I think it had to do with the fact that we get this beautiful vignette of somebody's life. Uh, and and a tribute to them in all these kind of like snapshots of memories, um, but at the end of the day, like that that still falls into to the natural rhythm of of the everyday, uh, which makes mm-hmm. it incredibly beautiful. Yeah, I, and it kind of like it doesn't beat you over the head with its uh, like social political themes, like you know, like yeah, it's it's very observant in that way. Like I I personally was not aware of uh, the racism slash classism that was uh in mexico um you know the like me being like a fucking moron like singaporean i don't i don't live there i don't understand i'm very ignorant about the classes of class system there you know like you know i always thought that mexicans were mexicans but you know like even in mexico there are like white mexicans and then there are indigenous mexicans you Mm. know um me completely forgot be forgetting that like the white mexicans are like the, the the spanish colonists right yeah uh, who who came over there and and that's why the the classism exists like it is the the brown Mexicans that often end up serving in the underclass you know mm-hmm. uh yeah uh, the the whole like political revolution going on in the background also like kind of just serves as like a bit of a of a of a compliment yeah uh, to to the theme of the story and not necessarily like beating you over the head with uh, with with the politics of it like, or the polemics of it it's really good um. Alfonso Coran, I think this has made a very special movie that uh, that feels like it's an all-encompassing experience. La. You know, it's it's a movie that, as I said, will transport you into another time and place. Mm-hmm. You will feel like you're living it. Uh, and if you loved uh, films like Nomadland or The Rider, I think you will love uh, Alfonso Coran's Roma, which uh, sadly went underrated in Netflix. You know, a lot of people like to watch, you know, stuff like Extraction or... or, <laughs> or, or you know that you know the the, the the every time I see like the top ten Netflix movies, I'm always very like, huh? Like, why is Matt Bound not here, and why is Roma not here? You know? Yeah, um, that's that's kind of one of the things that that annoys me a bit about the Netflix algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for sure, the things that you watch, the things that you like, the things that you put on your list, those get right. I mean, like eighty percent of my Netflix is basically anime at this point in time. Yeah, uh, it's like anime and indie films. <laughs> that's basically like the majority of that. Um, mm-hmm. but Again, because it's algorithmic, you don't get fed things outside of your kind of comfort zone, right? Unless you're going out of your way to say, like, you know, I've watched this, I really like this, and I want to kind of watch that as well. Um, yeah. So I'm curious to know, like, at the point in time in 2018 when it came out on Netflix, like, I got mm-hmm. fed that, right? I saw the trailer as something that was highlighted to me, mm. um, but understandably so. I'm just curious, like, how many people actually saw that, you know? Yeah, I'm yeah. Kind of it, it's a bit weird because I have a lot of friends who just, you know, went went aware of the film. La, and Netflix should since Netflix was pushing it for, for an Oscar campaign, right? They should have been pushing it harder, right? Yeah. Yeah. You would think so, right? But maybe it has to do with the fact that um 
they don't usually disclose how much they make off of a of a film, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like award season. Like so long as it's um, so long as it's screened at at least one cinema. Is is that the current yeah. rule? Yeah, right. Uh, it needs to be screened at least once in New York and Hollywood. Yeah, uh, in New York and LA. Sorry. Yeah, so I mean, like outside of that, like I don't think you know, like Netflix is so opaque in terms of like the way that they run the platform itself. So mm-hmm. you know, we'll... yeah, yeah, I, I, I am a little glad though that this year they seem to have been, they seem to be changing it up a bit. I think they seem to be promoting a bit more of their art house features. Yeah. Um, this year, like a, a Ma Rainey Black Bottom got a huge push on, mm, on Netflix, and yeah. as well as the trial, the trial of the Chicago Seven as well. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. so is this kind of this kinds of films are like if you're investing money. To bring in these great filmmakers, uh, why not? Why not showcase them uh, to to more more? Okay, critics are already gonna love this. Like yeah. the art house film boss are already gonna love this. But Netflix has such a big reach beyond these people that these things can become like transcendent hits, lah. Yeah. Uh, and yet at the same time, as an executive, if I were an executive, I do see the fear of uh investing money in promoting Roma to the casual audience because I, you know, it's not something that would be. It, there's not like anything catchy or hooky about it, like you know. Yeah. It's like like okay, Parasite is an art house film, but Parasite has something uh, that can capture everyone, like all demographics, mm. just because of its a uh, thriller aspect of it, right? You know. Yeah. 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 Whereas Roma and Nomadland are a bit like yeah, you know. Yeah, but I mean, you you don't know, right? Like I think. Yeah, you don't know. You don't yeah. know the 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 platforms like Netflix and YouTube and all of that, and all or Spotify for that matter, uh, like. Once upon a time, you use that as a, a platform for discovery, right? I think especially like before before music streaming was a big thing, like YouTube was a, one of the main ways that I used to find new music, music. and new people to kind of follow, right? And yep. back then, the algorithm completely helped with that, you know? Um, I think Netflix being as accessible as it is, um, neighbors being a bit loud, uh, Netflix mm-hmm. being as accessible as it is, right, is the perfect way for someone to say like, oh, this looks interesting. Let me watch like 10, 15 minutes of it and see if I like it. And then yeah. you discover that I really like Invariate Cinema, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I kind of wish it, change, it, it changes up a bit more. You know, mm-hmm. I understand if things like the platform, for example, becomes like wildly popular, uh, yep. despite the fact that it is technically fringe, more fringe cinema um, mm-hmm. just because of, of, of the subject matter. But like, why not? You know, why not have the the good documentaries and the the uh, slice of life like films and and all of that um, as something accessible so people can decide if they like it. Oh yeah, I, I mean I I I agree on that hundred percent Um, and and I hope, although I it's a bit of a chicken and egg thing. Yeah. Because you know, like these films will never be big unless you promote it. You know. Yeah. For but sure. then, like, if yeah, but then like. I do understand the fear of promoting something a bit more esoteric. That's the word I was looking for. Something a bit more esoteric. Mm-hmm. But, uh, because, you know, like executives look at numbers. They look at like focus groups and shit like that, you know. Uh, which is maybe not the best way to to decide like what art is worthy and what art is not. Yeah. But hey, we, that's getting to the business of it. <sighs> uh, but 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 in, in any case, Netflix actually does have like a really great list of original films. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned Matt Bound, which you should also watch because I really, really love uh, Matt Bowen, I mentioned uh, Ma Rainey, mm. like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is really good as well, although a bit too stagey uh, in its adaptation. Uh, I tried Chicago 7, uh, it's really good as well. Uh, what are your favorite Netflix original movies? Oh, wow. Uh, off the top of my head, that's, mm-hmm. that's a bit hard. 
Um, Ma Rainey was really good. I definitely enjoyed that. I haven't watched Ma Bao. Uh, okay. Hmm. Yeah. I'm struggling off the top of my head. But that being said, uh, maybe we should kind of expand that. So, just as kind you've of a... Pre- you seen The Irishman? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah The Irishman is a Netflix original. Marriage Story is a Netflix Oof. original. Marriage Story. Um, Okja is a... Uh, oh, that's a, speaking of Bong Joon-ho, yeah. Okja, Okja is a Netflix original, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's like kind of a ton of stuff. Uh I, I think it's just because like I've been I've been doing up the our, um our anime recommendations, so I've been going through a lot more of the anime originals on Netflix mm, more than anything I else. Wish there, I wish oh, there are a lot. There are a lot, and not all of them yeah. are great. Um, but yeah, so just like kind of like a mini preview for for those of you that happen to be catching this episode, um, mm. I'm currently working on like a large spreadsheet of like anime recommendations that started out of things that you could watch on Netflix that um are highly recommended anime-wise. Uh, yeah. That's kind of grown into its own monster, but we'll be releasing that fairly soon just as like a searchable kind of database for um, anime that that uh, myself and his recommend that you can catch yeah. like easily. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll be posting that up on our socials in the coming weeks, so do, do keep a lookout for that. We'll be back in a couple of weeks though mm-hmm. uh, to tackle non-American gangster films. I am uh, excited. <laughs> Yeah, our main topic is Infernal Affairs, a Hong Kong gangster classic. We'll yeah. be talking about the trilogy. Uh, we'll also be talking about the Raid duology, although I'll be focusing more on the Raid 2, mm-hmm. because the Raid 2 is more of a gangster epic, whereas the first one is more of a fight epic. Yeah. Uh, but of course, the Raid 2 is a continuation of the Raid 1, la, so the story doesn't fit without the Raid 1, so we'll mm. talk about Raid 1 as well. And, you know, I, I will briefly mention that it's the, like, the greatest fight film of all time. <laughs> fight me on that. Like, you, 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 you can't. You yeah. can't. Yeah. Like, John, John Wick bows down to the Raid. Uh, that, that's actually yeah. the only reason why we got some scenes from John Wick, is because the Raid existed. Correct, you know. Um, and let's not forget that Dread like, just completely ripped off the raid. Yeah. Um, although Dread, Dread in itself was a great film too. Uh, Agreed. Um, we'll also be talking about um, Animal Kingdom from Australia mm-hmm. and Eastern Promises from uh, a co-production between Russia <laughs> and, 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 and Britain uh, focusing on Russian mafia films. Uh, so, um, you know, like I, I grew up on American gangster films. Your Scarfaces, your Goodfathers, your Godfathers, your Mean Streets, uh, so many uh, Serpico, you know, so many good American gangster films, but gangsters are universal. <laughs> gangsters are universal, yeah. That's, that's yeah, cool. you can find gangsters everywhere. And and if we had included City of God in that episode, you know, that would have fit as well. But, For sure. You know, why, yeah, but like, I decided like, you know what, well, let's put City of God here and let's focus on other things there. Uh, yeah, so um, till next time though, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Uh, goodbye guys. Uh, see you in two weeks. Ciao.